Thank you for joining us for this message from Cornerstone Community Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. Here's Pastor Willie Taylor. Last week, we started a, a new series, and we were talking about how really to reach out to people uh, that maybe, maybe they have different thoughts, a mind, different mindset than we do. We talked about the case for a creator because there are people who really don't believe in a creator. And we also, this week, we're going to talk about the case for Christ. And there are three books by Lee Strobel, and we'll get into that a little bit later uh, when Jack Van Gerp comes up. But first of all, let's lay a foundation, because I, I believe that, that you want to reach out to people. I believe that you know we need to reach out to people. I believe you know that we are commanded to reach out to people. Is that correct? Okay, three people say yes. So <laughs> that means that the rest of you really must not know that we need to reach out. Well, let's look in, in the, our foundation scripture, which is found in Matthew chapter 28. This is when Jesus, verse 16, this is when Jesus had told the disciples previously that they were to meet him on the mountain and he was going to meet with them. So in Matthew 28, it tells us in verse 16, But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me, in heaven and in earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and, lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, this is very important because he said all nations, so we're talking about a lot of different nations, and they might not believe in Jesus Christ as the Savior. They might not believe in uh, a creator. And we're going to specialize today just in talking about those who believe that there is a God, but doesn't, they, they really don't believe that Jesus Christ is who he said he was. And, and you, you know, Muslims, they don't believe that Jesus Christ is the Savior and the only way, truth, and life. There are many people in the, in the church today universally who don't believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation. They believe there are other ways. There is no other way. Let's look at that. Let's turn to Acts chapter, uh, Acts chapter 10, verse 38, and it'll be on your screen for those who don't have your Bible. And this is during a time when, well, I want to go to Acts 4 first. Acts 4, let's go there first. Because this is a time when persecution had already begun in the church. And they captured uh, Peter and John, and they said to, to, to them, uh, we're going to keep you in prison because you, you're stirring up things. You're turning the world upside down. We don't want you doing this. They, brought, they put them in jail overnight, then they brought them before the scribes, the elders, and everybody. They set them down, and let's pick it up in verse 7. Acts chapter 4, verse 7. Let's pick it up there. And he says, when they had placed them in the center, they began to inquire, by what power? Or in what name have you done this? That's what they asked him. 
Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people. If we are on trial today for the benefit done to a sick man, and this is, we're talking about a, a man who previously was at the, at, at the temple. They set him there every day. He, he, he was lame from his mother's womb. So he had never walked, never walked in his life. And he was asking for alms. He was asking for uh, money because he was poor. And, of course, Peter and John said, hey, look, silver and gold, we don't have any. But what we do have, we give unto you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And they lift him up with his right hand. They lift him up. And he not only got up, but he leaped up. And he walked and not only walked, but he leaped with them in the temple. And the people saw him. And... Um, they, were, they, they said, what is this you've done? And he said, hey, don't gaze at us as if we've done some great thing because of our piety, because of our holiness. We haven't done this because of this, but it's because of the name of Jesus Christ. We've done this thing. So that's, that's the backdrop of this. And so they were asking about what name has he done this and what power had he done this. And Peter said, when he's filled with the Holy Spirit, if he's on trial because a man made well, verse 10 says, let it be known to all you and all the people in Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name, this man stands here before you in good health. He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the chief cornerstone. Verse 12, and there is salvation in no one else. So if you are around someone who believes that there is salvation maybe in somebody else, whether it's Muhammad, whether it's um, whoever Smith, whether it's uh, whoever, they got so many names about so many people that they're dead, not alive, and they believe and trust in these people. Some, some, sometimes these people will kill themselves. They will more get. I mean, they, they will kill themselves for the name, hoping they won't get something. Believe they're gonna get something, some rewards. And there is no name, no name. Muhammad, no name. Buddha, no name. Under heaven, which a man can be saved except Jesus Christ. This what this is what the Word of God. Teaches, and if a person believes that there is a creator, which we went over last week, but doesn't believe in Jesus Christ, we know if you, if you have a creator, we know we need to read the instruction manual. Just like if you, you get a, a new uh, toy for your kids or do something, usually, usually it is in a box. You can't buy it, and that's what I used to like to do. Hey, give me the one that's already put together. No. <laughs> No, we can't sell that one. It was already, and we got it in the box. That means you got to spend time putting it together. And most of us as men, we don't like to spend the time reading the directions. And I, I spent a great, a great deal of time in my, at one time it was my 95 camera. In the wintertime, every time I cut on the heat, in the, in the air condition, it would fog up the windows. Worse. I mean, it was fogged up terribly. And I, I, I said, I'll never buy another Toyota. Never buy another camera. They, don't, they can't even put the thing right. 
and, and uh, you know, the defroster thing. Every time I put the defroster on, it will, it will cloud up the windows. Well, <laughs> I found out that I didn't read the manual. And the manual says when you turn the defrost on, you must turn the air condition on. And I said, huh. I mean, I've been riding for now a couple of years, like this, a couple of windows. And you said, well, you are, what Minerva said, you are ignorant. <laughs> you know? Well, no, I just didn't read the manual. How many people really believe that there's a creator, but don't read the manual? And the manual says there's no other name. No other name in heaven that you can be saved. Let's look in another place. Let's look in, in Acts chapter 10. Let's go there. Verse 38. That's where we want to go second time. Now, in the backdrop of this is talking about Cornelius. And, and God has told him that you can send for my servant, and he will uh, tell you these things that I want you to know. And so he sent for him, and this is the result of what, what happened. We pick it up in verse 38. You know that Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. We are his witnesses of all the things he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They also put him to death by hanging him on a cross. God raised him up on the third day and granted that he become visible, not to all the people, but to witnesses who were chosen beforehand by God. That is, to us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he ordered us to preach to the people and solemnly to testify that this is the one who has been appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. Of him all the prophets bear witness that through his name, his name now, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. And this was Peter talking. There's no other name. No other name. In Colossians, let's go there, Colossians chapter 1. Paul was talking to the church there. Verse 15. Let's just start in 13. It says, For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created. Let me read that again. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in 
everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness of, of the Godhead really to dwell in him. And through him to reconcile all things to himself. Having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him I say whether things on earth are things in heaven. People, I'm going to tell you, there is no other name. No, none whatsoever. If you have somebody who doesn't believe in Jesus Christ, the word of God will explain it to them. But if they don't, if they don't want to uh, hear the word, then Jack, come up. We're going to talk to you about what a journalist, Lee Strobel, what he did. Uh, he was, of course, trying to find out these very things. This was the first book he wrote. And he wanted to prove that this Jesus did not exist really. And he wanted to do some things. Jack, tell us a little bit about Lee Strober's force. Uh, why can we trust him? Well, he's, I know you said he was an investigative and reporter, but see, if, if you, he could be partial because he didn't want to believe in Jesus Christ anyway, maybe because his wife, uh, he didn't want his wife to, to uh, go through all these good changes. Maybe he wanted her like he, she used to be. Uh, can... can could you think he could be swayed because of evidence he might find? Or what was it about him that we can be sure? Was he, did he do anything else? Did he put his life on the line? What, what, tell us a little about him. Well, he, as an investigative reporter, he was dedicated to finding out the facts and the truth of a matter. And there were times when he investigated uh, Ford Motor Company because of the situation with the Pinto, and he was threatened on that, that uh, he better not publish what he was doing. He was also threatened by, uh, of course, he was in Chicago, so he was threatened by the mafia because he was exposing some corruption. He was exposing corruption in the administration, and he was threatened by that. But he continued to persevere after the facts because he wanted the truth to come out. He thought that the truth was the most important thing. Mm, okay. Threatened by the mob. Pinto. Yeah. We got young people in here. They don't know about no. They don't know about no Pinto, man. <laughs> well, Ford knew that if you um, rear-ended the Pinto, the the gas tank was stationed in such a way that it would explode. Yeah, and uh, they knew that um, if they did it like a, I mean, they did it to save forty dollars a car. They could have moved the gas tank and re-engineered it, and it only cost them, you know, pennies compared to what it was. But they were so cost consciousness and they were so intent on getting that last nickel out of it that they just said ah the chances of that are happening are so small we'll just mess you know we just forget about it how and many of you remember what a pinto looked like okay good why is your hand up sarah you know <laughs> so i don't know about no pinto <laughs> that's good well tell us a little, little bit about and we're talking about this book the case of christ and it's 13 chapters and we're going to do some highlights of, of uh, maybe 10 of those uh, 13 chapters. In chapter 1, uh, really he was talking about really, uh, he, he had to try to disprove or prove really that the uh, biographies about Jesus Christ, whether they were authentic, whether they could be trusted really. So tell us a little, little bit what he found out. Well, he talked about the eyewitness evidence and can the biographies of Jesus be trusted or the biographers and... What he found out was is that there is no real dispute as to who wrote the Gospels. Uh, there was a time back about 150 years ago when 
there was some critical uh, um, exegesis, I guess you might call it, but they, they were really questioning about it. But as they continued and more information came about, there is no one else that comes forward in any of the historical references that uh, wrote these Gospels other than the four men that are listed in the Gospels. The earliest um, testimonies of who they were were men who knew the apostles or were new people who knew the apostles and testified in their writings, like Polycarp and Aragon and some other of the bishops of the time that um, these men wrote them, and that these Gospels were written within the lifetime of people who could verify or uh, not verify what the facts were. There were eyewitnesses there. So that means that uh, so if you write a letter uh, to someone and, and, and we're living the same time frame, we can say, oh, uh, Jack wrote that letter, and mm-hmm. then your son or our children say, oh, I, I saw him write that letter. They, they wrote that letter. So it can't be falsified because mm-hmm. you have eyewitnesses. Right, That's and if, if you say something that didn't happen... <laughs> You know, you've got, well, Jesus fed 5,000 people at one time, at one, one instance. and in another instance, he fed 4,000 people. And it says that, uh, you know, those people were still alive when these Gospels were written, or some of them were. And they could have said, well, this didn't happen. I was with them. I, I, I didn't hear him say that. I heard him say this. And there is no um, proof that, that that happened. So when we tell people, this is one of the tools we can use now, besides using the book itself. We can use the book now. The, the, the book actually is the greatest tool because yeah. if you have someone who doesn't believe in Jesus Christ, you just give them the book, and the book will, uh, they can read it and see some things. But just in case they might not be readers who want to read a book, then one tool, if they say, well, uh, who says that these people really wrote this thing? Who really, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, who, who says I can believe them? Well, we can use that as mm-hmm. a tool. Mm-hmm. No, over the years, while they were still living, there were people who could verify that what they said was true. So there is no lies in there. Mm-hmm. So that's a, that's a tool. Mm-hmm. Okay, now the second chapter was talking about can the, can the bibliographers stand the scrutiny, really, that, that are the test of, of time in this thing, or the, or the test under under uh, testing, you know, how, how gold is, is, is put in the fire. Can it be tested like that? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, in Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, we get um, what Luke says is his uh, intention for what he's doing. He says, Inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us. So he said that many people are doing that. He said, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Sleophilus, that you may know with certainty of those things of which you were instructed. And so Luke wanted to be... Uh, precise on this. He was a physician, so he was interested in getting down to the facts and the truth in a matter because if he didn't know what was really wrong with someone, he couldn't help to cure them. So he was an educated man. He was a Greek, and he was educated in the ways of um, writing histories and investigation. And so that's what his gospel was. He wrote down the eyewitness testimonies of what happened because he wasn't there. But 
He, he probably wasn't even a believer when Jesus walked the earth. But he became a believer, and he was a companion of Paul. And he heard all the stories. And then when Paul was in, uh, probably when Paul was in prison in, in um, where was it, Caesarea, with Festus and those folks, that um, he had an opportunity to travel around and talk to the people who were there. And this is what he got. And he also got out and wrote down the book of Acts, which was um, uh, a history of how the early church started. Another thing that I wanted to read that I, as, as we were talking about this and as I was researching this a little bit more, I came upon um, 1 John. This is really good. 1 John chapter 1, he said, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled. So this is not something that was done in people's minds. This was things that happened. There was some, something physical, something material that happened. He said, concerning the word of life, the life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. Again, he says, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship or partnership is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you, that your joy may be full. And so he's talking about and saying the things that we've seen, we've heard, we've touched them, he was there. Mm, That's That's powerful. That's good. That's powerful. And no one disputes that that the Apostle John wrote this. Mm -hmm. There is some question as to, you know, two different Johns, but there's really no proof that there's two different Johns. Right. Mm-hmm. right. And this was written probably about 30, 40 years after, after the fact. But he was an eyewitness, and he says, that's why we're writing these things to you. Mm-hmm. Well, you don't know how many, how many times, Jack, that I've talked to people, and they question the validity of the Scripture. Mm-hmm. And, and I, got, you know, I can't understand why they're doing that. Next week we're going to be talking about uh, the case for faith. Because you're going to have to have faith. Uh, and, and the thing is, they have faith in something, but they just don't want to have faith in, in Jesus Christ. Uh, so they think sometimes they'll say, well, you mean to tell me that over all these years, this is reliable and it has been preserved? Mm-hmm. When they tell me, that, you know that if you tell a secret over here, if I, if I whisper something in your ear over here, and you say, okay, you whisper to everybody else. And by the time it gets over here, it's a whole different ball game. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and so they said, well, so how are you going to tell me over, it can't even, you can't even just go in here for 15 minutes, 15 minutes and get, get it right. How did they get it right? And they don't even, I mean, two, I mean it's a long time, Jack. So they, tell us about they, Well, they didn't have the Internet. <laughs> okay. They didn't have electricity. Right. Um, you have to remember that the times that they were in, the only way that you could transmit something or, tr- or pass something on was through word of mouth. The educated, which were very few, could write it down, but the parchments were made out of goat skin or they were made out of papyrus. You said parchments. Well, the so. things that they wrote on, the pieces of paper or whatever they wrote on, mm-hmm. were organic. And thus they would decay, and so they had to write them over and over. There was a, um, 
in the Jewish tradition, there was a family of scribes that that was their job was to copy the word over and over and over. And they saw this as the word of God. They saw it as something sacred. They saw it as preserving the very words of God. And so they were very meticulous in, in copying these things down. Now, the people, because they didn't have cell phones, they didn't have the Internet, they didn't have electricity, they didn't have uh, indoor plumbing, they didn't have anything that we have today. No, the transportation was you walked mm-hmm. or you rode in an ox cart. They were forced, and this was part of their culture, to memorize things. They memorized everything. There were stories of rabbis that memorized the whole Old Testament. The whole thing. They did it because that was the highest thing that they could possibly do to pass on the Word of God. And these men who wrote these words also thought that they were writing down the very words of God. Now, if you go back, they thought, well, you know, these were written three, four hundred years afterwards. They didn't have any proof that they were written as close to the time of the apostles as they were. So they thought that myths sprang up and that uh, they made stories up. Mm -hmm. But they found, there was found, a fragment of the Gospel of John. It was only five verses, and it was on a piece of parchment. But they found it in Egypt, and it was on papyrus, and they think that it was written somewhere between 100 and 125 A.D., which was within, and it was a copy, because John wrote his Gospel it's accepted that he wrote it in Ephesus, which was on the other side of the Mediterranean, probably about 70 or 80 A.D. And so this copy was like 30 years about the time of John. That was an astounding thing for them to find. This puts it in the time of the eyewitnesses. This says that, you know, maybe it really did. Maybe they really did write these things down. And one more thing, the earliest copy of... Um, Isaiah that we had was probably about, I think they said it was around 900 A.D., Mm -hmm. until the Dead Sea Scrolls. When they found the Dead Sea Scrolls, which were a bunch of scrolls that they found inside of stone jars in caves outside the Dead Sea, they were put there by Essenes who were hiding them from the Romans who were coming to conquer Israel in about 70 A.D. And they had sat there for, what, 1,900 years? And they were preserved because it was so dry. They found a copy of Isaiah that was probably written about 100 B.C., about 1,000 years before the copy we had, and it was word for word. It was like 99.5% pure. Hmm. The differences were spelling differences. might have been a little bit a jot or a tittle here, but no document, no um, um, one of our beliefs has, has been compromised because of it. And they were just astounded that it would have been copied so religiously and so meticulously over a thousand years. So that gives us the, uh, the foundation that these scriptures are reliable. They have been transmitted, um, transmitted to us reliably, that they took, the, they took it real serious. So what we can do is use that as a tool also when someone will say, well, who says that even this is written uh, correctly and, and, and who says that they're going to going to uh, copy this thing right all the years, a thousand years, we can go back and tell them, well, they found Dead Sea Strolls, and it was over a thousand years, about a thousand years old, and it was word for word what was written a thousand years before, so it is accurate. So we can use that as a tool. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. Now tell us about our scientific, I think about scientific evidence. In, uh, the archaeology. Mm-hmm, yeah. mm-hmm. Well, as they went through the Gospel of Luke and the Gospel of John and Mark, they found things in there that they thought were mistakes. Um, Luke in chapter 3, verse 1 of, the, um, of his Gospel said that when uh, Lysanias was the tetrarch of Abila, somewhere outside of Damascus, they said, well, we know that there was a, a tetrarch, but there was nobody by that name. Um, so Luke must have got it all wrong. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Well, as archaeologists uncovered things, they found coins with his name on it that he was the tetrarch of Alaba when the time that he said it was. They also found that um, in Acts chapter 17, Luke used the word politarchs. And that was a word that they had never heard before. So they thought, he doesn't really know what he's talking about. But then, since then, they have uncovered tens of documents that revert or refer to politarchs, which means political leaders or governors. Um, in John chapter 5, he talks about the pool of Bethesda with five porticos. Well, they never found it. They thought that he didn't know what he was talking about. Well, it's about 40 feet below the surface. They've excavated, and they found the pool of Bethesda, and it has five porticos. So uh, they they doubted the Roman census. How could anybody require you to go back to your hometown? But it's not like today where you have a jet and you can fly out and live out in Seattle or over in Tokyo or any place. You probably didn't move but 15 or 20 miles outside of your town if you moved outside at all. And so in Palestine, it was no big deal to go back and be registered in your hometown. And they have found that there have been, um, uh, I think it was in AD 104, one of the Roman emperors proclaimed that um, they had to go back in, to their own, so they, in their own town so they could be counted. So there is actual uh, factual evidence that, that that was a practice at that time. Wow. This is this is good. I mean, he he really he really did some work. Well, he was a he was an investigative reporter, and he wanted to ask those questions that he didn't think anybody was really addressing, and he wasn't afraid to follow the answers wherever they lead. And he was finding out that uh, there was a lot more going on than meets the eye. Right. This is this is an atheist. Yep. Is doing this. Didn't didn't really believe in God, and he's just doing doing his work, his due diligence. Um, this, is, this is awesome. Well, tell us a little bit about another chapter. Uh, did Jesus really, was he convinced that he really was the son of God? Well, since we've established that the biographies can be trusted, mm-hmm. we can go back to the biographies and see what Jesus did. And in Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 3, Jesus quoted that at the start of his ministry. And he said, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me. Then he has anointed me to proclaim the good news and he, to um, heal up the brokenhearted mm-hmm. and uh, to preach the, good, the gospel to those who are in darkness. And um, that was a messianic prophetic word. They knew it was, it was about the Messiah. Jesus said, This scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing today. In other words, he's saying, I'm the one. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, In John chapter 8, 
Verse 58, Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. Now that goes back to Exodus 3, where Moses was looking at the burning bush, and he says, who am I supposed to tell them that sent me? And he said, I am that I am. Tell them that I am sent you. Now when the Hebrew scriptures were translated into Koine Greek in Alexandria by the Jews living there, they used a certain words right there for I am. And when the New Testament was written in Greek, that's the word they used, the exact same words. And that's why the Pharisees picked up stones to stone him, because he was making himself equal to God. Um, Jesus in John 14 says, if you've seen the Son, you've seen the Father. How can you say that if you're not? Psalm 103 is a psalm about, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that's within me, bless his holy name, who heals all your sicknesses, who forgives all of your sins. Well, Jesus forgave sins. Jesus healed people. Mm -hmm. Jesus raised people from the dead. Mm -hmm. And in Luke chapter 5, actually it was in, in Matthew 9, Mark 2, and Luke 5, when Jesus healed the paralytic, first he said, son, your sins are forgiven. And in Mark it was recorded that they, they said, in, within themselves the Pharisees were thinking, who can forgive sins? Only God. And Jesus said he knew what he, they were thinking. Well, how can anybody know what they're thinking unless they can read your thoughts? And he says... Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, arise and walk. And he says, but you might know that I can forgive sin. He said, get up and walk. And the guy got up and walked. So he had the, I mean, who has for, you know, the right to forgive sins except God alone? So I think he thought he was. <laughs> he sure acted really, like it. Really, in, in, in Luke chapter 7, verse 19, uh, his disciples were, were, were summoned. John's disciples were summoned. And, and they said, uh, he told them, Hey, go to the Lord and say, are you the expected one or do we look for someone else? This is in Luke 7, 19. Mm -hmm. Verse 20 says, when the men came to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you to ask, are you the expected one or do we look for someone else? At that time, that very time, he cured many people of diseases and afflictions, and evil spirits. And he gave sight to many who were blind. And he answered and said to them, Go and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them. Blessed is he who does not take offense with me. And those are things in the Old Testament that the Messiah was going to do. So he did believe that he was, he knew it. I mean, there's no, no belief, he knew it. Wow, this is, this is awesome, man, it's awesome. Now tell us about uh, the situation some people thought he was crazy, see. Mm -hmm. And now give us a little bit about what he found out in the psychological evidence. Well, there was an instant where he was in someone's house, uh, and his, they said, your mother and your brothers are out here to get you. And he said, well, who are my mother and my brothers? Those who follow the will of my father, those are my mother and my brothers. And it was, um, they were coming to take charge of him because they thought he'd really gone over the edge. However, in uh, John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, is the uh, wedding feast of Cana. Mm -hmm. And um, mm -hmm. yeah. 
when they ran out of wine, his mom came to him, his mother came to him and said, they have no wine. And Jesus said, of course, it's not my time. And she just turned to the servants and said, whatever he tells you to do, do it. Now, if I couldn't turn water into wine and my mom turned to me, to her servant and says, whatever he says to do, do it. <laughs> what would you do? <laughs> I think, say, mom, what are you, nuts? <laughs> but he just said, go fill them with water. And by the time they got over there, it was wine. So she knew because of the things that she treasured in her heart. Remember in the, in the narrative that... Um, when he was born and also when he was presented in the, temp- in the temple, uh, there were prophetic words spoken over him. And it says that she treasured these things in her heart. Mm-hmm. And so there was kind of a conflict in there when she came with her brother, with her other sons to get Jesus. Um, I'm not sure whether she was in full agreement with them, but they thought that he was. Um, the evidence, as again, we've established that these biographies are to be trusted, that they are the true words of Jesus, the true actions of Jesus. And you have to think, what do crazy people do? Mm-hmm. People who are delusional, what do they do? Uh, they say wild things. Jesus never said wild things that he couldn't fulfill. They do wild things. They like jump off of buildings thinking that they can fly. Or Jesus walked on the water. He saw people walk, people saw him walk on the water. Um, Jesus healed the sick, he raised the dead, he forgave sins, he fed the hungry, he took care of the poor. He never went off the deep end. He was always consistent. So the evidence is that Jesus wasn't crazy. He didn't act like a crazy person. He acted like the Son of God. Praise God. Tell us about the, we have a little little bit more time here. Let's talk about some of the other things we have. Uh, I think chapter 9 talk about the profile evidences, mm-hmm. and, and we have uh, chapter 11, the medical evidence. Let's skip down to, you want to go to the medical evidence? Sure. Let's go there. I touched on uh, the other one, that he had the attributes of God, mm-hmm. uh, healed the sick, raised the dead, forgave mm-hmm. sins. Uh, the medical evidence, uh, some folks say that, um, well, Jesus was just unconscious when they took him off the cross. He really wasn't dead, and that they put him in the tomb, and the cool air of the tomb revived him. And anyone who has um, any knowledge of what a Roman beating was like, that's not possible. That's not possible. Um, the first thing that happened that he talked about was when he was in the garden and great, he was under such stress that they said great drops of blood um, came. Uh, he, he sweat great drops of blood. And that is an actual medical condition called, let me see if I can get it right, hematidroisis. It's rare, but the capillaries in your, in your blood vessels burst and a little bit of blood gets into your sweat, and so it looks like you're sweating blood. What this does is it sets the skin up to be really sensitive and very um, fragile so that when he was taken away and then they beat him up because it says that they slapped him repeatedly and said, you know, prophesy who did it. And then they flogged him. Well, the Roman flogging was, was uh, it, you know, it's worse than capital punishment. It just tore you up. Um, he had very little blood left when, and very little strength left. It just ripped uh, and exposed your, your muscles and everything. And so when he was on the cross, there was no 
surprise that he was expired before the time. He was just wiped, you know, just wiped out. And so then when they, um, they uh, put a spear in his side and blood and water came out, uh, as you would expect from something like that. So when he went in the tomb, he was dead, man. The Romans knew. I mean, they were experts at killing people. That's what they did for a living, you know. These Roman soldiers who were cru- they crucified hundreds and thousands of people, they knew when someone was dead and when they weren't dead. Mm-hmm. That's it, no fooling them. Right. So he was dead. Now, what's the last thing you can leave, leave us with uh, here, Jack, as far as one, one of the things he uncovered? We know about the missing body and the appearances. Those are the mm-hmm. last two chapters that were left. Uh, to cover, I'll pick one of those and, and explain whatever you want to understand. Well, the, um, the, the evidence of the missing body, there's no argument that the body was never found. There's no argument. The argument goes, he's raised from the dead. Uh, no, he didn't. You stole his body. No, he didn't steal his body because there were guards at the tomb. No, you bribed the, bar, the guards and then you stole the body. No, we didn't do that. Jesus rose from the dead, and they fainted dead out. And we have 500 people that he appeared at one time that have seen him. Go ask them. They saw him. Well, they were all hypnotized. No, you cannot hypnotize 500 people at one time. It's hard enough to hypnotize one person, but 500 people. Well, you were all just having a mass hallucination. No, you cannot have a mass hallucination. You can get somebody to believe that you see something, but you can't get them to see what you see. They'll see what they see, and it might be completely different from what you see. So Jesus rose from the dead. He was seen bodily. He ate with the apostles. They touched his, his, um, his hands and his feet. He walked with them for 40 days, and then he was ascended into heaven. And 10 days later, he sent the Holy Spirit so that they could walk the walk. Mm. This is, um, you can trust it. Right. You can trust it. Praise God. Praise God. Well, we have given you now two uh, tools, big tools, and then a lot of little tools that you can use in case you didn't want to get the book to, to give to somebody. And you don't know whether it be somebody God's going to put into your, your life at some point in time that you're going to come across because, after all, uh, we have to be responsible for what God gives us. So when, when Jack is standing up here going, sitting over here going through these, uh, these tools, then they are available to us uh, through the Christian bookstore, online, Amazon, and uh, wherever you want to get things from. They're available for you to, to get somebody because Jesus expects for us to go and proclaim the good news to every creature that he puts in your path. We are not here just to uh, enjoy the rain, enjoy the flowers, enjoy ourselves on earth. We are here to carry the gospel just like his apostles did. We are here. We have to be here for other generations also. We have to proclaim this. And if you're here today and you don't believe uh, or you, were, you didn't believe in the scriptures as this is the, the scripture, this Bible is the inerrant word of God then today you need to uh, change your mind and say, oh, my goodness, with the evidence that, that uh, Lee Strobel uh, got forth, 
then I know that this is the word of God. The things that Jack said that he said, then they know they got to be true. We're not going to be standing up in church giving you some information that's not really true. So we know this is the word of God. And if you have any doubts, get the book. Get the book and, and look through it and, and search it out. For, be an investigative and, uh, reporter yourself. If you think you want to go to Israel, you want to go to all these places and, and search it out, here's a person that God's already given us who did search it out, who gave us the things. I believe that, that we are set up, Jack, for our next message next week because it's going to be a case of faith. We're talking about that, the case of faith. Because you've you got to have faith. And you can't tell me that you don't have faith. Everyone, an atheist, has faith. You know? In something. In something. Mm-hmm. In something. Or, <laughs> or somebody. Mm-hmm. You know? And, and so, so you can't tell me, well, I don't, just don't believe it. Oh, right. Okay, right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Thank you for listening to this message from Pastor Taylor and Cornerstone Community Church. We are located in Lynchburg, Virginia at 525 Old Graves Mill Road. You can find us online at cornerstonelynchburg.com, contact us by email, cornerstonecom at comcast.net, or call us at 434-847-4796. We pray the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace.